Welcome to the Global Futures Podcast with me, Joel Sandu. In this episode, I sit down with Andres Chipani in Sao Paulo, Brazil, where we talk about the role that cities can play in national and international politics and how cities can be more active on the global arena. Andres Chipani is a Brazil correspondent for the Financial Times. Before moving to Sao Paulo, he was the newspaper's Andes correspondent, covering Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Venezuela, as well as parts of the Caribbean. Before that, he worked in the Financial Times New York Bureau as a markets and emerging markets reporter. First of all, thank you very much, Andres, for joining us on the Global Futures Podcast here in Sao Paulo at the FGV. Thank you, Joel. It's a pleasure. So for our listeners, uh, you are the first big journalist we're talking to from the Financial Times. You're a journalist, you're a writer, you've traveled extensively, you've lived and worked in a number of cities across the globe. Can you tell our listeners about some of the cities you've lived and worked in and what kind of political influence you've observed them having? I had the fortune, I'd say, of living in some of the world's biggest and most thriving cities. London, New York, I was born in Buenos Aires in Argentina. I live in Sao Paulo, a city of 22 million people and, and, and the most cosmopolitan of, of Brazil. I worked in Lagos in Nigeria for a bit, uh, and yeah, I've been around. I've been to Delhi and, 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 and Johannesburg and Mexico, and cities are, and I think this is a point that I would like to stress over and over our conversation. I feel like I'm an urbanite. I was born and raised in a city of, which now has 15 million people, and I think that usually the cities are the last line of defense against any backlash of any kind. I remember when I was a kid, uh, after witnessing like my neighbors being I was born during the, the the Argentine dictatorship in the in the late 70s and early 80s and I remember my neighbors being snatched from uh, by the military for suspicious being part of a communist bloc and then the backlash after the defeat in the Falklands war against against England and it was it was I mean as a kid I couldn't realize it until later but how actually people stood up rose and came out and this is what cities especially capital cities, could provide. When you have a capital city within a city, like Buenos Aires, like Rio back in the day, uh, like London, where people actually demand accountability, I think that's crucial in whatever that is happening today and whatever has, been, and whatever has happened in the past. What is it about cities? Why not smaller cities, towns, villages? What is it unique about cities, to your mind, that generates this political momentum, this mobilization, and so on? Perhaps I've kindly... <laughs> led you to the answer, but why, why cities and not other entities, other bodies? I think because I think that's where people meet. I mean, people meet everywhere, of course. I mean, Aristotle put it right. I mean, we are, we are political animals, but cities are cultural centers. Cities are ethnic centers. It's where people, it's where people meet. It's where people greet. It's where people discuss ideas, be it in the street, bars, universities. I mean, I, I, I come from a culture. My father was Italian. My mother is Spanish. And it's the culture of discussing everything in the cafe, so from politics to football. And that engagement is what brings actually people to get, or not, committed to a cause. And I think cities have, because of the particular environment they are in, they are, uh, entice people to, or entice some people to actually bring up the conversation to a different level, and then getting more engaged, getting into politics, getting into activism, and so on and so forth. I mean... One city that I worked and I fascinated by a lot and I'm very fond and I'm actually very sad of what's happening is Caracas in Venezuela. And yes, there were other cities like San Cristobal in the border with Colombia which were a focus of resistance. 
But Caracas was, it was incredible when I was covering the protest. I was literally in the thick of it, like inhaling uh, tear gas. It was how the city and the government knew how to split the city. So we block this bridge and these roads, and then the protesters cannot come from the areas where they are actually located into, where the, into the areas where the government is located. So it's, it's fascinating how cities, again, could be, and I still think they are, the last line of resistance. Well, talking about the last line of resistance, uh, when you look around the world now, we, we live in a time where we see a lack of global, global leadership. You know, if we talk about climate change, if we talk about humanitarian issues, if you talk about refugee and forced migration, it seems like governments across the world are slowly kind of going back into their corners and just want to take care of themselves and not, uh, not, not fix the global problems. Do you think cities or city networks can step in and offer solutions or remedies where um, international organizations are failing to do so? I think they could, but mostly I think they should. Because, I mean, all this spread of populism and nationalism worldwide are pervasive to the growth of, of, of and the spread of multilateralism and this sort of cooperation. You mentioned climate change. I think two, two cities I love, and, 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 and I know more, one more than the other, but it's like Rio here in Brazil and Lagos in Nigeria. They have a thriving civil society. They're on the front lines of changes in climate patterns because they're located on the coast. One day they will probably drown. And if they don't put this on the agenda, they will, feel they will be one of the first casualties. And they actually, we go back to what we were talking about, because... They are the engine. They are this sort of like soul of, of where people actually can meet and discuss the ideas and how to actually put them on a table where they will actually have relevance. I mean, something similar could happen with, you mentioned humanitarian crisis, with, with the refugee crisis and, and, and immigration. Look at the sanctuary cities in the U.S. I think that has been studied broadly, but cities should be vital, I think, in, in pushing for change in the global arena, engaging with, with, with international organizations and, and, and all sort of like transnational bodies. Of course, and we know this, that depends very heavily on the, on the human factor of politics and how the city's inhabitants push their leaders to, to act. You mentioned the political factor that I found really interesting when you thought, you know, cities should, but I, I, I sometimes wonder, are there certain cities that are better equipped to deal with, you know, providing solutions to global challenges based on, on, on perhaps the political setup of the country? I mean, you've traveled a lot. Are there some cities, just from, from your, from your mem uh, memory, that are better equipped than others to tackle a similar problem? Well, you know, I mean, journalists, inherently, we don't trust politicians. But uh, <laughs> some, let's go back to Argentina, for example. So, some would argue that there will be no Argentina without its capital, Buenos Aires. It's the country's main port. It holds about roughly 15 million people, if we include the metropolitan area, which makes it for roughly a quarter of the country's total population. But the city is also politically powerful. You may, one may agree with them or not, but a former mayor and the and the former president and the current president were mayors of Buenos Aires. So it shows how powerful they could be political. And some, somebody, you, some people may argue something similar about Lagos. I mean, it has 20 plus million people in a country of 200 million people, but it's the cultural and business centers which brings members of the whole of Nigeria, like a plethora of ethnic and religious groups. So central government, again, when leaving aside their own personal fiefdoms and, and, and party ambitions, should find a way of working together. And they could, I think, 
with all, am I Argentine again, with all its crises and neuroses and, and flaws, one of the reasons why the G20 meeting in Buenos Aires in November worked relatively well was because both local and the national government worked together. I mean, we look around the world and cities are becoming the hub of um, populations in, in their respective countries, right? They're becoming the centers, the cores, the heartbeat of the country. What, what do you think is the best way then for national governments to embrace this, this kind of power, legitimacy, this influence of their capitals or their major cities? And do you think there may be conflicts between the, the kind of central and local governance? It's interesting because it's the way how to reach out to people these days. I mean, one one of the most fascinating and most debated things during the most heatedly debated issues during the Brazilian presidential election in October, it was like a lot of people thought this was the first real WhatsApp election. A lot of a lot of how people discussed it. I mean, the the especially the Jair Bolsonaro, the president, the way he he ran a very cheap campaign, like. Uh, money-wise, uh, through WhatsApp and Facebook and Twitter. He was very active. And that was the first time this was seen? In a way, yes. And this was like a proper WhatsApp election. I mean, the, the groups, I mean, the way it spread out, many times through fake news, it sparks a debate on how the politicians are connecting with the people. So how are we calling for rallies? WhatsApp groups. How are we calling for protest? Uh, Facebook post and and, and and Twitter posts and so on and so forth. So there's a lot there's a lot about this idea, which I don't think is direct democracy, but in a way to some people it is, that the politicians talk to each other and politicians argue with each other. This could be applied to national and 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 local levels. For example, a city like Sao Paulo where we are today is arguably the most global of, of, of the Brazilian cities. I mean, but it could offer a blueprint for what countries can do in terms of, 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 of reaching out to the people. What ideally could transpire how this can act globally with other transnational actors? Yes, because for example, the fact that cities like this one in particular are host to a huge amount of multinational corporations says a lot about the way citizens, citizens and politicians have to interact with the civil society and the, and the inhabitants of the city because these companies not only provide investment but they will also provide services and goods and so on and so forth. For example, in a way these companies also in cases like Sao Paulo, they have, they're way heavy in what they do. The former mayor of Sao Paulo who stepped down last year to run for governor, he's now the governor, where is he today? Actually today he's the governor of a region of a state. He was the mayor of the state, but he's today at the World Economic Forum in Davos, meeting with who? The CEO of Novartis, the CEO of General Electric, uh, the CEO of Enel. So consulates, for example, in cities like Sao Paulo or New York, sometimes are de facto or de jure trade delegations. And so I say, I, again, uh, people could agree on the approach this governor is doing things or not, but on many front cities, are and will be this last line of of defense or on the backlash against globalization. Even if this governor is in cahoots with a new president, and who's a lot of people fear he's an anti-global. I mean, he's the foreign minister is an anti-globalist, but at least there's a dialogue. I think that the problem with this dialogue, especially in cities like Sao Paulo, Rio, where you have, I mean, the levels of inequality are massive, is not dripping down. And that's when we go back to the social media. I think social media, 
from the hands of the activist, the social leaders, and so could act or should act as, as, as a catalyzer for further dialogue between authorities, national, state, and local, with the situations that need the most. That brings me neatly to a, a question that has just been burning on my mind. The cities, especially capital cities, major metropolis areas across the world, they serve a certain population of you know, cosmopolitan, international, the elite, if you will. I can't help but think this also creates a divide between you know, the rural and the very urban, which we've seen the backlash of this here in, in Brazil with the elections, we've seen it, you know, in the northern neighbor uh, in the United States. We've seen it across the world. Do you think the, the, the further entrenchment of this kind of global cities is also going to be a threat to um, politics at home? It, it could definitely be. However, it's like we go back, to, I think we go back to the original point. How do you bridge the gap? There was, there was a say back in the day that the Brazilians... I think it was, a, it was a missionary priest that in the 1800s and 1900s, he said that the Brazilians are clawed to the coast like crabs. So the bigger cities are along the coast. But now, look at who, which are the most prosperous states, the agricultural states in the center of the country or in the west of the country. But there's still a huge gap. There's still a huge gap with the north. How do you bridge that gap? And what is, I think is interesting, probably most of the ideas of how to bridge this gap will come from the cities, because a lot of these people are rural migrants or migrants from other poorer cities who move to the city. And I've met dozens of activists who are actually trying to bridge this gap through communal radios, in, 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 the, in the favelas, for example, with projects just to try and, and, and tackle violence. There's, an, there's, there's I mean, Rio has been ravaged by, by a way of violence over the past three or four years, since the, since, since the the end of the Olympics, and for example, a group of a group of researchers and, and, and tech guys started an app, two apps actually, to track down where in real time where there are shootouts. So don't go here because there's a shootout. It's like a waste for shootouts. So there's a lot of engagement now, but I still think this engagement needs to reach that top. And you spoke about this like connectivity between cities. There has to be a pairing but it has to be sometimes an equal pairing. You, it's like the BRICS grouping. Maybe putting Brazil with China or South Africa with India is because it's, it's never going to be equal. So when it happens to cities, there should be a sort of, somebody maybe in London, I mean, if you're trying to pair London with Asuncion, it may not work. You need to see what benefits each city and the citizens of each city, most of all in trying to bridge this gap. What can London can teach Asuncion in terms of, if there's, Let's say Santiago de Chile now, which is, which is welcoming uh, an influx, or Lima, an influx of Venezuelan refugees. What can London teach, or Stockholm can teach them? I think there should be a two-way, you need to start by finding the common ground, and probably the problems, or the issues, I want to call it problems, the issues that you didn't have before, but other cities already are experiencing. How can you actually interact? And how can you, once you manage that pairing, how can you actually, actually pass on that message to the people who need it the most. Without making it sound like you're glaring into a crystal ball, because <laughs> I want to ask you a question about the future. This is the Global Futures podcast. What is your what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't want let's not call it predictions. It's it's dangerous. But what are your thoughts on uh, the future role of cities on uh, in global governance? I mean, I don't think we're going back to Venice or Florence in the in the, in the, in the 17th century of, of the city state. But I think 
mayors like Shadi Khan in, in, in London have become global figures as important as prime ministers and presidents. You see it like in the anti-Brexit movement in the UK, he's been, a, he's been quite a vocal advocate against that. So there is, there should be, I think, or there will be at some point when the, this backlash against globalization, like all backlashes, at some point is going to end. We don't know when. Maybe two, five, ten, fifteen years. But I think leaders in this that they will emerge from these cities will be the ones who will say, "Okay, can we now sit down and talk and think globally?" Because refugees, drug trafficking, uh, climate change are things that will affect us all. And to an equal measure, I was spoken before about Rio and Lagos, for example. There will be issues that will affect Rio and Lagos, so they will need to sit down and talk. And they will need to sit down and talk between them, and they will need to sit down and talk with, with actually authorities that, will, that can actually put, make their perils end by the stroke of a pen or a political action. And if not, it will probably be the citizens who, is gonna rise, who are going to rise again. Unfortunately, we've come to uh, the end of our time and we still have to steal you for a panel discussion, but it remains on me to say muchísimas gracias para estar con nosotros. Andres, thank you very much for joining us on the Global Futures podcast today. Un millón de gracias. Thank you very, very much. This episode of the Global Futures Podcast was presented by me, Joel Sandu, and produced by Sonia Sugrabova from the Global Public Policy Institute. Our guest was Andres Shipani. You can find a host of GGF products, including scenario reports, opinion pieces, interviews, and other podcasts by visiting ggfutures.net forward slash analysis. <laughs>